0: Hey, Pitchfork Economics gang, we are doing another AMA, Ask Me Anything uh, episode, and so if you have a question about something, ideally economics-related, leave us a voicemail by calling 731-388-9334, and uh,
1: Goldie and I will answer your questions. Employment has not fully recovered for women since the start of the pandemic.
2: Child care is not a personal problem. It's, a, it's an economic issue. And we have a child care crisis. It's unavailable and it's
0: unaffordable. Women lost their jobs relative to men at a three to one ratio. 100% effectively of the kids having to stay home explains a lot of that.
2: It is a abject failure that the government has bailed out airlines and has not bailed out moms. From the home offices of Civic Ventures in downtown Seattle, this is Pitchfork Economics with Nick Hanauer, the best place to get the truth about who gets what and why.
1: There's some good news and some bad news about the post-pandemic economy, Nick. What do you want <laughs> first? You want the good news? <laughs> Always give me the bad news first. Well, I'm, you know what? I'm going to give you the good news first. The okay. good news is that employment has fully recovered, in fact, past full recovery. And the bad news is uh, that that's only for men, that employment has not fully recovered for women since the start of the pandemic.
0: Yeah, and I think the ratio I heard was women lost their jobs relative to men at a three to one ratio, right? right. Um, and that, of course, one hundred percent effectively of the kids having to stay home explains a lot of that, you know. And it's st- and and still, you know, childcare is in crisis across the country, and women are women in our society, mothers in our society in particular, are taking the brunt of that.
1: Right, we already had uh, an uneven and unfair division of labor for before the pandemic in which women were picked up much more of the responsibility for child care and for housework and so forth. And since the pandemic, uh, after the, the temporary closures of school, but the, the permanent closure of many childcare centers that yeah, have not sure. been able to reopen partially because they, they can't find childcare workers uh, uh, to fill the jobs. Uh, it, it's gotten even worse. The, that's right. You know, well,
0: and, 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 and kids under five still haven't been vaccinated, which creates another layer of worry. And
1: you know. Right. So what, what was a terrible situation before the pandemic has since become a crisis, fortunately, we have a guest who has a big, bold idea on how to address it. Uh, that's true. Our guest, uh, Reshma Sujani, has introduced a Marshall
0: Plan for Moms. And uh, we're gonna gonna hear a lot about uh, what that plan is and why it's necessary in our interview with her.
2: My name is Reshma Sajani. Well, I'm the founder and CEO of the Marshall Plan for Moms and the founder of Girls Who Code and the author of Pay Up, The Future of Women in Work and Why It's Different Than You Think. I've spent more than a decade building movements fighting for women and girls empowerment and working to close the gender gap in tech.
1: So
0: uh, Reshma, tell us what inspired you to create the Marshall Plan for Moms.
2: Yeah, look, I mean, I found myself in the beginning of 2020 uh, as the CEO of Girls Who Code, we had just had a Super Bowl ad. I was gonna teach more girls to code than I ever had before. I was having my second child and I was really excited to take my paternity leave. And then the pandemic hit and I found myself having to go back to work Uh, A few weeks after my son was born, homeschool my kindergartner and save my nonprofit from being shut down because the first resources to go uh, in crises are to women and girls. And my entire leadership team was mostly women of young children. And really, through my lived experience, through their experience, saw the fact that so many women, uh, because of the pandemic, had to start supplementing their paid labor for unpaid labor. So when the schools shut down, mothers became the primary ones that were homeschooling their kids. And so in that December of 2020, you started to see millions and millions of women get pushed out of the workforce. And when we started the pandemic, women were the majority. I remember thinking like, you can't lose that many jobs that quickly and not have a plan. And so the Marshall Plan for Moms really started for me being pissed off sitting in the middle of my bedroom and just writing an op-ed, which I often do. When I see something that needs fixing, and it was basically just like what me and my PTA moms needed to get back to work. You know, we needed paid leave. We needed affordable child care. We needed schools to open up safely. We needed retraining for those of us who had lost you know our jobs because of the pandemic.
1: Well, well, obviously we did go into this without a plan, and there were devastating consequences. Describe what happened in uh, two thousand and twenty and two thousand and twenty one.
2: You know, 30 years of progress of women's workforce participation were wiped out basically in nine months. So, over 12 million women over the course of the pandemic left the workforce due to the pressures of taking care of children and their families as the pandemic stretched on. You know, now two years later, America's moms are still not okay. And that's because the ratio of caregiving work hasn't shifted. You know, America does these time and use surveys, and two thirds of caregiving work are done by women. So now two years after the pandemic, we still have 1.1 million women that are missing from the labor force that were there two years ago. You know, women of color have been hit especially hard. You know, one in three women are considering leaving the workforce or changing their jobs. The Great Resignation is literally led by women. And 51% of women say that their mental health has declined and the rates of anxiety and depression have skyrocketed.
0: Okay, but how many men have left the workforce?
2: Men have gained all their jobs; they're back where they were pre-pandemic levels.
0: Okay, interesting. So, what's the Marshall Plan?
2: Well, the Marshall Plan for moms is you know a nonprofit that is pushing for public and private strategies um, to make sure that workplaces work for women. It has three legs. You know, we do culture change and thought leadership work. Uh, we do work to really shift the private sector. Uh, in the public sector. And then finally, it, we organize moms to ask for what they need. So right now, uh, a few weeks ago, we launched the National Business Child Care Coalition. So if you look at the latest jobs report, right, you still have about 700,000 women that are missing, you know, from the workforce. And some gains have been made because employers are allowing for flexibility in remote working. So in the knowledge worker sector, you know, you're still seeing, you're seeing women can start coming back, but in the manufacturing sector, for example, in the Midwest, because you can't work from home and half of our daycare centers are still shut down, you haven't seen, you know what I mean, pre-pandemic levels. And so the number one reason why women are not back in the, why mothers are not back in the workforce is because of our broken childcare center. Um, half of our daycare centers are still shut down. You know, the business model of childcare is broken and the government is refusing, right, to do something about it by passing the bill that would have put a, you know, a ceiling of 7% on, on the amount that families spend. And so it's really up to the private sector. So I've been building a coalition to get private companies to start subsidizing and paying for childcare benefits, so women can come back to work.
1: So, so make the case uh, to business owners why they would want to provide and or subsidize childcare.
2: Well, childcare is not a personal problem; it's a, it's an economic issue, and we have a childcare crisis. It's unavailable and it's unaffordable. Uh, and if there's 4.5 million people that are quitting every month, and millions of jobs that are open, the only way that parents, in particular mothers, can come back to work is if they have childcare. And right now, it costs more for companies to pay for turnover than it would for them to pay for childcare. And they're paying for egg freezing, they're paying for museum memberships, and it's time to pay us and you know, help us out with childcare. We can, you literally can't work without it.
1: You know, it, it it's funny a- Amazon. Uh, in Seattle, their headquarters has doggy daycare.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that wonderful story that I'm going to tell to everyone.
1: <laughs> but yeah. I don't, I don't know that they, they don't have. Cho-
2: they don't. Yeah, they don't.
1: Yeah, people can bring their dogs to work, and there's areas to drop them off. But uh, not, not your child. I'm wondering if you're torn a, a little bit by this. I mean, obviously, the government has failed. Uh, to provide child care the way most other uh, advanced uh, countries have. But we also have this system of employer-provided health care, which is terrible. And, and I wonder if you're torn between, you know, about going down that path and trying to encourage uh, employer-provided child care, whether that's going to lead us to the same sad situation.
2: Well, I feel like it has to be a both and Right. It can't just be the well, first of all, we can't do nothing that that is not an option. We have to do something. And the two you know, most you know uh, obvious actors are either the government or the private sector. And you, know, you need the government because the government will make sure that everyone is covered. And I think you need the private sector because you need innovation. So I think that part of the problem here is, like I said, is the, the business model of child care is broken and there's not enough entrepreneurs that are going into what we call the fam tech space and thinking about like what is the you know what's the child care model of the 21st century of the future that like, we're not even thinking about right how can we do this differently and so i think that when you have multinational companies that are starting to pay for childcare you have more you know entrepreneurs that want to go into the space and start thinking about how to disrupt it and that's when you get economies of scale and that's when you you know and and i we were, we were yeah, i'm just going to
0: Yeah, Reshma, I'm just going to push back on that hard. I, 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 I just don't. I just don't think that technology or business processes are going to come to the rescue here. The business community has externalized the costs of childcare onto the society in the way that they externalize all the all the other costs, including, including the reasonable cost of. Paying their workers enough to get by without government assistance.
2: I I absolutely agree with you. Listen, I, I'm not. I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that the private sector is quote the answer to this. And it, it is a abject failure that the government has bailed out airlines and has not bailed out moms. Yeah, um, it's an abject sure. failure that you know we don't. You know we literally do not. I mean, you you just had the <laughs> baby formula shortage. If you want to if you want to have a you know a view about how we care about our mothers, just look at what happened there but the but the thing is is that we can't wait for them to grow a heart.
0: Oh, but they're never going to grow a heart. Like can we please just stipulate that that the idea that that companies are going to solve this problem is is fantasy. It's just well, not going to happen. So what's happen. the option? require it by force of law. No one is going to solve this problem willingly. Companies will be required to pay for childcare in the same way they are required to pay social security benefits and a variety of other things. In the absence of uh, being compelled to do so, they will not, in all but the smallest circumstances, there are of course some industries and companies that are so lucrative and are so desperate for the highest quality, you know, rare work that they will pay for this. But just in broad terms, it's it's not realistic I'm just incredibly cynical that you can get anywhere by exhorting people to to do the right thing. I think you have to. I
2: don't think that that's, but I don't think that's the argument I'm making. I think that right now it's like, for example, you know, when my parents came to this country as refugees, you know, both of them had worked for the same company for 30 years. You know, both my parents' bosses knew my name, came to my high school graduation. It was a family, you know, it was about family and people stayed. And now because we've we've treated employees like crap and not invested in their families, not invested in their kids, not invested in them, people leave every eight, nine months.
0: So we're in violent agreement about that. We're in violent agreement.
2: So I think that there's a moment because of the great resignation, because there's so many open jobs, we're actually we as mother as parents have a little bit of leverage and I think one example of where you're seeing this is in you know in 22 states for the first time ever women without children are making more than men because they've gone in and they said all right you want you want to fill those jobs I want to know what he makes and I want double and your office too and so it, it is a moment I'm not saying it's gonna last for long where I'm not saying the companies are doing it out of the goodness of their heart but I think they could be doing it. They have We have an opportunity to push them to do it because it makes business sense, because it's cheaper than the cost of their attrition. A great example of that, of this is Etsy. You know, Etsy has been basically providing childcare Patagonia. Again, I, I, I'm not gonna come up with a hundred examples. That's the problem, right? But the ones that you have, have actually made the business case. Um, right. So they're not doing it because it's the nice thing to do. It's just, it's, it saves them money.
1: I mean, I, I, I guess if, if they really understood their own rational self interest, I can't think of anything that would lead to employee retainment like providing childcare because your employees would not want to pull their children out of childcare that they like.
0: Yeah. But as, as the only business person on the call, let, let me assure you <laughs> that is not how we fucking think. Okay. We are not, we're just not that sophisticated. And so, you know, look, Rashma. the other the other thing, the thing that you did not say about what happened to your parents when you came to the United States as refugees is that in, th- in that day, it only took one median worker 30 weeks of work to, to pay for all of the basic expenses mm-hmm. to support a family and today, it takes something like fifty-three weeks of work to do the very same thing, which is why every married woman in America needs to have a job. Because yep. in the absence of it, you will uh, not be able to support your family. And I, I don't, in any way, want to push back on your basic thesis, which is we treat women like
1: crap. No, I think I
2: think you have a lot. I mean, you have you. I'm a, I because I have to because I've, I've lost all my hope in government. I need to have hope in somebody. You know yeah. what I mean. And, and and I'm not. And I I'm, i I want to be clear too that I don't think that the private sector is the answer. I think in this moment, you know, and we've been able to do, you know, we can make make the case and and we'll see how much right now less than ten percent of companies offer some sort of childcare benefit. So actually, ironically, even the company right Amazon has day, doggy daycare, but yeah. not childcare. So even in ones that can afford to do it. You know, so, so we have to, we have to make the case and continue to push government. My, my big though my big point of this, I think, is that I'm trying to take moms from rage to power, we need to start mobilizing mothers women in the workplace to start demanding this. Yes. And not continuing to breastfeed in closets and like hide yeah. pictures of our children and and tolerate the motherhood penalty, right? Which is being paid less for men for doing the exact same job just because you're a mother. And so there's pieces of this that all have to kind of come together in this moment, but it has to.
1: Let's talk about these pieces a little more uh, beyond just childcare. care. Uh, what are the other pillars of your Marshall Plan for moms?
2: So, you know, the first part, which is about flexibility and remote working right and predictability for hourly workers. Right. You work at Walmart and you know, you you basically have a kid, you, you pay for childcare, you show up for your 7 p.m. shift. It's canceled. You're out money. And so mm-hmm. the importance of having predictability and flexibility is is critical. Paid leave. You know, again, the United States is the only industrialization that doesn't offer paid leave. You know, many companies love to tout their paid leave policies, but they also gaslight men when they take it. So it's not enough just to offer paternity leave. You have to basically incentivize, I think, men to take it. The majority of men take less than 10 days off after having a baby. And look, my big aha from the pandemic was that unless you have gender equality at home, you're not gonna have gender equality in the workplace. And unless you build workplaces for single moms, you know, you are never going to get to equality. And so this is about structural change, right? You, do, you just structurally change society and workplaces to make it possible to work and have a child. And I think that some of the tenants of that are childcare, paid leave support for our mental health, and just, you know, basically having the permission to control your day, uh, in a way that acknowledges that you just did two and a half jobs at home before you came to work.
1: Yeah. 100%. You say that, that you know, you've lost faith in government to address these things. A lot of these things would be, you know, like in Seattle, we have paid leave and secure scheduling, not just for women, for men, but obviously the, the workforce it's aimed at is predominantly female.
2: I've, I should say I've lost faith in the federal government. I Ah. I think that there's still (laughs) I know where you're going. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, listen, I mean, Massachusetts, New York on paid leave. I mean, they've it's been it's been game changing for women of color. So I think we have to look to the states, quite frankly, to 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 take care of their basics. But, you know, the thing is, all of this is interconnected. You know, when you think about Roe v. Wade, six out of ten women who get an abortion are mothers. Fifty percent of women who get abortions already have a child. It's, you know, it's because you can't force birth in a country that doesn't have paid leave affordable child care. you know, what I mean, basic investments that make it possible for you to even have a child, you know, it, that's connected to the baby formula shortage, you know, that wasn't a priority. So we have no shame in seeing women literally scour, you know, aisles and Walmart. In fact, you've had to have a, you know, a network of women who are helping other mothers get, you know, tell them where the baby formula is, instead of this, I mean, abject failure, you know, you what happened in Uvalde last week, right? Where you have the number one cause of death now for children are guns. And and so we are living in, an, in a society that is, is broken in terms of family values. We don't take care of families anymore. We're, it's, we're, it's incapa- we're incapable of doing it. So yeah. something has to change.
0: Can, can I plant one idea in your head yes, about all of please. this? Because we uh, our team at Civic Ventures has thought uh, as carefully as we know how about the childcare crisis, and of course, not everyone lives in cities, but most Americans live in cities. And one of the huge pressures on childcare in most places is real estate, yeah. like where to where to put like where to put the childcare places. And it turns out that the places where the most people actually physically work. Is the place where it is most expensive to rent space for childcare, right? I mean, just it's just a, it's just a yep. natural function of how, the the way in which real estate concentrates and works. Uh, so I think uh, you know my view is that a big thrust of any solution is to require large landlords to put aside reasonable amounts of space effectively for free for childcare. in every every place. So there is no earthly reason why giant office buildings don't have half a floor devoted to childcare in every single one.
2: So this is what we've been doing with our business coalition. So we have a handful of companies that are now turning their open office space into building childcare centers. It's exactly what you said. It didn't make sense from a business perspective before, but now you have all this open space. People are not coming back to work five days a week. So you want to know what's a good way of getting parents to come back into the office, having daycare,
0: childcare, yeah, yes, (laughs) yeah, no, that's. So I mean, it's like I, I mean,
2: I like in my mayor, I was like, you know, instead of you should be having these companies build childcare centers, like let people work from home, right? Like who cares, right? But have them. You want to do something with that space? Do something for our kids. Yeah. Um, and I think that's absolutely right. And and the other part of this, from a data perspective, is I bet you if you look at Disney. Um, Google, places that have actually have child care centers on site, they too have lower
0: attrition. No, it has to be the case. It has to be the case. So what what else should we do?
2: I, I think that we have to really some of this feels to me as I've is, is, it's just deeply cultural, right? It's deeply embedded in American culture. Like even when you, you know we think about childcare as a personal problem or families as a personal problem that you have to solve. And we have to really just deeply, deeply reconsider, you know, how culturally we've looked at the role of women, the role of mothers in society, um, and, and, and acknowledge that it's broken. You know, every time women take 10 steps forward, we pull them back 10 steps. You know, any society that takes away rights from people is a declining democracy. And that's just about what we're about to do. And it's and and, and so we need to, I think, um, Really examine this, And and this is where I think, you know, people always say to me, well, what, what do men say about this? I was like, you know, men want the exact same thing I want. You know, it's been two years. People have spent more time with their kids. They've taken their son to school, played soccer with them. They have lower diabetes, heart attack issues. Like it's good for society when both genders partake in caretaking. And so men are not the problem. But I think that we have an, an opportunity here for men to really stand Actually, up.
0: You know, I actually do know some men who are the problem. Some
2: men are the problem.
1: Thank you. I met, I met, I met, as, a, I met as a
2: species, yeah. But it's interesting. Like, for example, you know, I've, and I've talked to lots of employers about this. You know, even if you're a 55-year-old, you know, who, who works in a bank and doesn't want to commute, you're not saying that to your employer because you'll be gaslit. You know, and so we need men to really speak out more about the structural changes that we need to make that will benefit the lives of women, but that will also benefit their lives.
0: Yeah. So can, I'd be very interested if you could articulate what, like if you were in charge of, it, it, you put politics aside, how would you deal with the, in nuts and bolts, the child care challenge the nation faces? How, What would you do? How would you organize it?
2: Well, I think the, the first part is we have to acknowledge that someone needs to pay the subsidy. And so I think what Biden had proposed to do in Build Back Better, which was like, you know, have a ceiling at 7% was a good idea. I also love Elizabeth Warren's idea about having universal childcare. Like, it doesn't make sense, right? That we have K through 12 education and we don't have universal childcare when we know that so much of your development begins at the earliest of possible ages. And so, you know, we should be providing childcare, quite frankly, for everybody in this country.
0: So, but has your team thought through the particulars? Uh, you know, like uh, who pays, where are the facilities, et cetera.
2: I mean, you mean from a government solution or a private sector solution? I mean, no, I don't care. I,
0: Whatever I, you want to well, do.
2: Right now, we're focused on a private sector solution, and what we're doing is convening companies together to say, "What are you doing? What works for you?" So, for example, you know, we have a company, Fast Retailing which provides you know um, childcare subsidies not just to its uh, salaried workers but its hourly workers and so we are connecting them to other retail organizations who didn't think that they could actually provide childcare benefits to store managers because it didn't make you know it didn't make economic sense so part of it is sharing that same thing with Etsy and Patagonia that are leading the way in tech you know in both paid leave benefits and childcare benefits how they've basically mandated that both men and women take it at the same rate the effect of that in terms of gender equality in their family. So, you know, we're in a, we're in a period of like, I'm not rolling out what the gold standard is yet because I don't know. And I think what we need to do is like look at the shining examples of companies that are actually doing it, and 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 sharing that with one another, and and just shifting the conversation. That I think the knee jerk is that well, it just it doesn't make economic sense. It's not an yeah. economic problem. It's a personal problem. That is fundamental before you say, okay, here's here's the childcare model of the future that I think everybody should implement.
0: Yeah, but as you look around internationally, what's the gold standard?
2: Well, I mean, the gold standard is more investment to to families, right? Like the United States, I think what the average is is it spends five hundred dollars per family for childcare. I think the average industrialized nation spends fourteen thousand dollars. So, you know, it's more, I mean, you look at Canada, I mean, both Canada and the UK did not have the same number of women leaving the workforce during the pandemic because they had universal childcare and paid leave.
1: Do, do the businesses you talk to, do they understand that if, if they're facing a labor shortage, this is the low-hanging fruit, bringing women back into the workforce by taking care of the needs that are keeping them out of the workforce?
2: In the businesses that we've spoken to, I think they they get that because that's the conversation that they're having. You know, those that's the segment of the population in their workforce that has not come back. It's mothers. Right. I mean, there's a million surveys or studies that basically demonstrate why. You know, we just did a study with McKinsey where we surveyed a thousand parents. The fifty percent of the women who left the workforce was because of childcare. And the, the fact that it was unavailable or my babysitter was quitting, my daycare center shut down, oh, and there's another variant here, now school's gonna be closed. And it was just impossible to work and have a child. So I think they know that if they're gonna have that talent, they have to solve that problem. I don't I think the idea of the private sector providing childcare benefits is not controversial. You know, an example of this, quite frankly, is fertility benefits. You know, I write about this in my book. Five years ago, a handful of companies nobody was offering to pay your for your IVF. But people started coming in, men and women saying, what are your fertility benefits? What are your fertility benefits? What are your fertility benefits? And in the middle of a talent war, it became a benefit that people cared about and would go to a company over. That's what the survey we did with McKinsey demonstrates about childcare. Mm -hmm. People are forum shopping for companies that have good family benefits right now. So I, I think that companies who understand this, you know, are going to do the right thing. The deeper problem here though, for me that I get frustrated and upset about is what is up with society you know when you think about the agitated there are more parents that are agitated about critical race theory and lgbtq stories in schools or now even having mental health centers in their schools that are agitated about the fact that child care centers are shut down or that they don't have paid leave or that you know you know what i'm saying Like we we are we are uh-huh. focused on the wrong things and to me we have to ask ourselves wow why 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 and how do you shift that
0: yeah it, it, it is i mean well the, the there actually is a social socio-psychological answer to this which is that we are wired to <laughs> care about one thing more than the other but uh that does not serve the society well
2: well i thought, also think we, we've lost our sense of community i mean it's ironic a lot of the pushback i get on on child care benefits are from childless women who say well why should my why should my why should i pay for your child care but I was like, well, why should I for your gym membership? Right? It's the same thing. It's a benefit, right? That you're you may or may not use. So, but the sense of like, even after everything we've seen that's happened to women, that's happened to children, that's happened to women of color, we still as a society can't say, you know, you are my neighbor. And I am, you know, we are stronger together. And that is something I think that has really that that we need to figure out foundationally how how do we get back uh, again in this moment if you we as a country can't pass paid leave can't pass forward child care, can't pass the child you know, can't renew the child tax credit but we're you know again bailing out airlines what does that say about our well, value it, system
1: it says that we're a a totally dysfunctional nation that is sliding into christo fascism but you know that's just <laughs> my take that. on it yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh. yeah yeah
0: we, are, we do live in a neoliberal hellscape.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, but where I take responsibility is I do think that the people that need fighting for like moms are exhausted. We're tired. We don't have a lot of time and we're burnt. And so part of the mission or opportunity here is to how do you activate them? So I, I kind of feel like, honestly, if I can teach moms how to go into their employer and ask for paid leave or childcare or flexibility or support for their mental health and they get one little win, they're going to like, OK. Like, maybe I can go call my congressperson, but nobody is feeling like Washington's going to do anything for them because they've been, you know, stomped on for too long. So we have to start building that muscle of activism.
0: Right. We always ask this uh, benevolent dictator question. If you were in charge and could do anything you wanted, um, politics aside, uh, what would you do?
1: No, No political or financial constraints. Absolutely everything. Reshape our country for us.
2: Oh my god the first thing i would do is i would implement universal childcare. okay however we pay for it we pay for it
1: i'm all for that yeah
2: i i really think it's like if we care about women's equality at the heart of it is you know 80 percent of women will become mothers at some point in their lifetime so it's like this is the this is the thing and you know as i write about my book it's like we've been focused on well you should just lean in and get a mentor like you know do a power <laughs> pose right and and and, and no <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's this. No, it's so it's bogus.
2: Structure. It's it's so, <laughs> and I I would love to see what America looks like with some of those again structural supports. I would love to know what America looks like where it's a culture that doesn't gaslight men for doing care. You know, I you know, I, I just I just think we're never gonna get a, we're never getting to equality until we fix we solve this. Period. We you know why do we have a I'm sure you why do we have a nursing shortage. You know, why Mm -hmm. do we have a shortage in all these industries that are about care men rather collect unemployment than do that because it's seen as work that men don't do. And I think that again is very deeply American and something that um, is is that we have to also figure out culturally how to change. I joke, I'm like, my goal is to get like Snoop Dogg and LeBron in the next Super Bowl ad to do uh, do the laundry, you know what I mean? (laughs) But like you almost popularize that men doing care work is part of our culture.
0: And one final question. Why do you do this work?
2: You know, I'm a Hindu. And in, in my religion, they say that like, you're put on Earth to, to do something um, and you have to figure out your life is about figuring out what that thing is. And ever since I've been a little girl, I've been a warrior. I have just always fought for the most vulnerable. And so for me, you know, it, you know, it started with girls. And giving them, you know, I built Girls Who Code, not to teach them just to code, but to give them economic opportunity, you know, to have them march up into the middle class, to leave homeless shelters and get jobs in tech, or maybe you can change. the. And, and, and that happened. And then, you know, I found myself in the pandemic, just looking at, you know, what really pissed me off was the school closure decision. I, it just really it pissed me off and it terrified me um that they didn't even think about us and they knew who was doing that work and how like we've almost been on I have been as a feminist as an activist have been just fighting for the wrong things focused on the wrong things and that if you I want to change the lives and the trajectory of of 40 million mothers and you know to do that this is my focus and it's the next movement I'm building and I feel just as passionately as I for the about this as I did 10 years ago when I
0: built Roser Quote. Well thank you for joining us.
2: Thank this you for having me. a fabulous yeah.
0: conversation.
1: And thank and you. best and best of luck with your work. Appreciate it.
0: You know that was a really interesting conversation uh, but it just absolutely brings home how at the root of everything suppressed wages are for mm-hmm. virtually all of our social ills. I mean, again, if you if you just consider that the median full-time worker in America today who earns $50,000 would earn close to $100,000 a year if they had been, if they had merely maintained their same share of GDP since 75, and think about what the impact of that would be on families and the cost of, you know, like people's ability to afford childcare or or, or
1: not needing it, right? Right. Um, It just staggers the mind. What struck me is what a Hobson's choice we're facing on this issue. On the one hand, Reshma is absolutely right that, you know, it would be stupid to hold our breath and wait for the federal government to address these issues. It's totally dysfunctional even if you managed somehow to get a a large enough Democratic majority uh, in the next election, and even if somehow you got the majority of these Democrats to act and get uh, useful legislation through the Congress, you know, dollars to donuts, this Republican Supreme Court would just toss it out just because, because that's what they do these days. So the federal government is out of the question. Uh, On the other hand, you know, you're absolutely right for being cynical about businesses taking up this mantle and understanding what their rational self-interest is, which is if they want uh, more women in the workforce, if they they want to uh, uh, fill this labor gap that they have, uh, well then, you know they need to make it possible for women to work, yeah. And that and that means having the type of uh, flexible and secure scheduling that Russian was talking about, and having adequate daycare, whether that is on the premises or uh, with a subsidy that's provided to get private daycare. Assuming you can find private daycare, which we all know is very expensive and very difficult to do. And I don't know which way you go. Our, our federal government isn't working. Uh, businesses just ideologically don't want to pay taxes to address this issue and don't want to pay employees to address this issue. And the hardest thing to do and is to change cultural norms. Yeah, And our cultural norms are working against us.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. And our, just our cultural expectations. Right, right. I mean... Yeah.
1: You know, right on with Reshma, with a Marshall Plan. Yeah, we need big, bold thinking like that. We need a Marshall Plan. And, you know, we talk about this a lot. Fighting for, for policies, even quixotic policies, is necessary to changing the way think people think about the economy and think about these issues, and that you don't get it all at once. It You know, it took decades to uh, uh, get to the point where, you know, people wear seat belts and don't smoke in cars around the, their kids or don't, don't smoke at all. I mean, that was the cultural norm. When I was a kid, everybody did that. My, my father included, who was a doctor. And, and it took a few decades and we changed those norms, but it takes decades and it takes yeah. a concerted effort. And, uh, you know, it's not that I'm feeling hopeless about this. It's just that, oh my God, it's yet another thing that just, it's going to require so much work.
0: Yeah. No, it's true.
1: That said Nick, other countries not only do it better, they do it right. We have yeah. examples yeah. out there. And the one that that I kept thinking back to was our conversation from I don't know, was it a couple of years ago with uh uh Anu Partanen and her husband Trevor Corson, Anu the author of the Nordic theory of everything, right? which was yeah. talking the way they they do it in Finland where they're living, uh where you know nobody pays more than a couple hundred dollars a week for child care and if you can't afford that you get you get high quality child care for free and all the child care is high quality so you don't have to worry about shopping around you look for the for the child care center that is most convenient to you in terms of of where you live or where you work and it frees up everybody to participate in the workforce or not if they choose to stay home with their kids which you know is a reasonable option they're free to do that as well
0: works pretty good and it works pretty good in almost every industrial industrialized country except right. ours so and
1: i think this brings up another another issue which i think requires a lot of thinking about and we're talking about is that you know both men and women should be able to stay home with their kids yeah. maybe not both at the same time one or the yeah. other if yeah. that's what they choose to do, I, I know it's hard in many careers to to take that break. It interrupts with your career path. But if well, it's only hard if you're the
0: only one who does it.
1: Right. If again, if we change it, norms, it, it, then everybody is yeah, it's doing only it. hard if only
0: if only one in a hundred people do it. That that will disadvantage the one in a hundred. If
1: everybody does it, then it's not hard. But but let's be clear, if we were to pay you've got a couple of kids and we were to pay one of the parents to stay home and take care of the kids for a couple of years, instead of until the kids are old enough to go to preschool, instead of, you know, putting them in childcare and going to work, it would be cheaper than subsidizing their childcare. And it's not a bizarre idea. We already do this. Uh, in many states, in Washington state, with home health care. We pay people, we essentially employ people to stay home and take care of relatives. And you know, it's not a lot of money, it's not a great living, but it makes a lot of sense and it works. And a lot of people would rather get paid to stay home and take care of their elderly parents than go to work and spend that money hiring a complete stranger to do it. Not everybody, some people prefer the other, but it's an option that I think we need to look at more seriously. If, if you care about childcare and, you know, there's people on the right who talk about family values, who think women should stay home with their kids, fine. If the woman wants to stay home with their kids, pay them.
0: Absolutely. Well, a lot of work to do, Goldie.
1: <laughs> always, always. Yeah.